right, well, how is everybody doing tonight? Midweek is finally back. Brittany's right, it has literally been the longest six weeks of our life. Thank you, I really do appreciate it. Listen, we are so excited to be back. This semester is gonna be an awesome semester. And listen, if tonight is your very first time here with us, I just wanna say that you picked one of the best nights to be here, and I hope you will be a part of Wednesday nights this semester. Well, listen, I don't know if you have ever realized this or not, but we live in a society that is easily offended and extremely angry. Just a few weeks ago, I was driving on my way here to church. I was minding my own business, listening to my favorite podcast, and I approached the, the four-way stop that is right over here by, by Brooker and Bell Shoals. And as I approached that four-way stop, I had a couple cars in front of me, so I waited patiently. When I finally made it to the front of the line, I stopped, waited my turn, and then I went, exactly like you learn in, in driver's ed. After a few minutes, I pulled into the parking lot here at the church, and little did I realize that I was actually being followed by this Ford F-150. This F-150 had followed me from the four-way stop all the way into the parking lot of the church. And when I parked my car, he took it upon himself to park horizontally behind me, blocking me in. And as I'm sitting in my car, I'm starting to think like, okay, something is, is not right. Like something's about to go down here. I was very, very uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, I just hear this guy lay on his horn. I'm sitting in my parked car, afraid to walk into the church, and this guy is just laying on his horn. And about a few minutes of him doing that, he finally gets out of the car. He comes up to my driver's side window and starts banging on my window. Now, at this point, girls, I'm like panicked. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? I'm like, there's people in church. I don't know if like, I can get to somebody for somebody to help me. And for about five minutes, he stands there banging on my, my windshield using colorful language, telling me that I did not come to a complete stop at the four-way stop. He was very disrespected by my rolling stop. And listen, I paid attention in driver's ed. I know I came to, to a complete stop. And listen, I, I about had a heart attack. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a pretty scary situation. But after I had, had calmed down a few minutes later, I started thinking to myself, like, this guy literally got angry at my driving skills. This guy lost his cool. He lost his temper over the fact that I did not come to a complete stop at the four-way stop. And listen, Chances are, you've probably seen something like that before. You've been driving, you've been in the car with your parents, and you've experienced someone who has some pretty extreme road rage. And listen, people have found a way to be offended by anything and everything. People are offended by traffic, they're offended by social media, People are offended by sports. People are offended by politics. Just recently, we've seen what happens when people take offense to social justice movements. And listen, there is this hypersensitivity that has developed within our culture over the past 10 years. 
And if someone is bothered, if someone's feelings are hurt, if something rubs someone the wrong way, then they feel as though they have the right to be offended. But not only do they feel like they have the right to be offended, they also feel like they have the right to tell everyone else that they're offended. And most of the time when they're offended, they make everyone else around them completely miserable. But you know, unfortunately, I believe this mindset has begun to to creep its way into the church. You see, those who claim to be followers of Jesus are just as easily offended. Christians, over the past few years, have jumped on the bandwagon of of cancel culture. People are really quick to, to to blast people on social media. Christians are really quick to judge people who think differently than them. And listen, I've even met Christians who are so quick to cut people out of their life because they feel like they've been wronged. But is this what Jesus really wants from us? Is this what Jesus really desires for us? Tonight we are kicking off a brand new teaching series called No Offense. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to live with no offense. Now, spoiler alert, this is not easy. This is something that's extremely challenging. But listen, I believe that Jesus desires more from us as people who claim to be followers of his than the hypersensitivity and the anger that exists in our culture. Now, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. Over the next few weeks, I'm probably going to offend you. Over the next few weeks, I'm probably going to say something that that you don't like. I might say something that gets under your skin a little bit. And that's okay. Here's why. Because my goal over the next few weeks is to offend you and to challenge you to begin to rethink how you respond when you're offended. I want you to begin to rethink how you respond when someone offends you. So tonight, the the title of our message is this, Stop Being Offended. Stop Being Offended. In order for, for us to stop being offended, I first want us to talk about what it means to be offended. If you were to to go to Google and Google the definition of offended, here's what you would find. To be offended means to be hurt, angry, or upset by something said or done. It means to be hurt, to be angry, or to be upset by something that someone said or did. And you know, it's our natural reaction to be offended when we feel like we've been wronged. When we take up an offense, most of the time it influences how we think, it influences how we feel, and if we're not careful, it can even influence how we act and respond to that person. But listen, this isn't just a problem that that we deal with in our culture today. In fact, if you were to look all the way back to the very beginning of creation, you would see that there were times within the very first family that God ever created that they offended one another. 
And when we look all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see example after example of people who dealt with offenses. That's because offenses are people problems. If you don't have people, you don't have offenses. And that's exactly why Jesus addressed this very specific topic in the New Testament. So tonight, we're going to look at a passage found in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want you to open up to, to Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew 5 is the beginning of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount before? Chances are if you've grown up in church, if you've been around church for a little while, you've probably heard something that has come from this sermon. That's because it was one of Jesus' most famous sermons and is often quoted a lot of times in church today. But listen, this sermon was not like a sermon that you would hear Pastor Corey preach on a Sunday morning over in the worship center. This sermon was extremely different because it lasted for days. It lasted for days. Jesus taught to this large crowd of people for days on end. You see, at this point in time, Jesus' ministry was growing rapidly. He had begun to develop a pretty large following. And as he's teaching, this crowd begins to, to gather. They want to know what, what he has to say. And at the time, many people were curious about Jesus because they were speculating that, that he was the Messiah. They were beginning to think that, that he was the Savior that they had been waiting for. This was the person, this was the man who was going to free the Jewish people from Roman oppression. And I'm pretty sure as these people gathered and as they were listening to Jesus teach, they thought this was going to be some, some type of political rally. Jesus was going to cast this amazing vision for the people. He was going to inspire them. He was going to unite them to fight back against the Romans. And so I'm pretty sure... They were shocked when Jesus started his sermon by saying these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now I'm sure that people heard these first few sentences and they're thinking in their mind, what in the world is going on? Like what is Jesus talking about? This isn't what, what I came to hear. This was, isn't what I expected. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Like, what does that even mean? Jesus, it's time to, to take over. It's time to fight back against the oppression that, that we're facing by the Roman people. But then Jesus goes on and he says this, Blessed are those who insult you. And when they persecute you and say th false things about you, I want you to rejoice and to be glad about it. You see, instead of uniting these people to fight back against the, the Romans, to fight back against the oppression that they were facing. He's introducing these people to a brand new way of thinking, something they had not expected and something that they had not planned for. After Jesus says these words, he goes on and, and he begins to take some, some Old Testament commands. He begins to, to take some, some verses that are found in the Old Testament, 
phrases that everyone listening would have been familiar with, and he begins to raise the bar on what was expected and required. He says, you've heard it said to to not murder, but I say to not be angry with anyone. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to not look at anyone lustfully. And then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You see, these these few words, Jesus is quoting a passage that we find in the book of Exodus. And it was a law that required the punishment to match the crime or offense. Jesus is quoting a law that's found in the Old Testament. And this law, it wasn't created in order to encourage revenge, but at the time it was created, it was, it was to provide help and a framework for the judicial system. It prevented punishment for a crime from being worse than the actual crime that it was committed. Here's a kind of a modern day example. I want you to think that you got caught stealing a candy bar from Publix, and all of a sudden you find yourself in jail for stealing. This law would have prevented you from being put to death over stealing a candy bar from Publix. The punishment had to match the crime that was, a, that was committed. But, but as with any law, over time, what happens? People begin to, to break it. People begin to, to take advantage of it. And what, what had happened is that people were becoming their own judge and jury. And unfortunately, many of the religious leaders at the time would, would use this law to punish people how they saw fit. They use this law for for personal gain and revenge. But listen, Jesus is saying in these verses, people, they don't need more laws to control their behavior. They don't need any more rules. Instead, they, they need a heart change. Look at what he says in verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, we read this, and you're probably thinking, this is ridiculous. Like, who is actually going to do this? What in the world is Jesus talking about here? But listen, it's important for us us to understand the the context of of what Jesus is saying. Otherwise, it's going to lead us to, to a bad interpretation. You see, Jesus is not saying here, Jesus is not saying Be a doormat and let people walk all over you. Jesus is also not saying here that that we should not stand up against evil. And Jesus is certainly not encouraging someone to subject themselves to to physical abuse. That's not what Jesus means by, by this verse. Instead, he's referencing the culture at the time. You see, in in his culture, a slap on the cheek was not viewed as physical assault. Instead, it was viewed as a very personal insult. It was viewed as a very personal insult. And if someone slapped you across the face, it was one of the most disrespectful things that they could do. It showed their lack of disregard for who you were as a person, and it was a complete attack on someone's dignity. But listen, rather than trying to to get even with that person, 
Rather than responding with a punishment that matches the offense, Jesus tells the the people to do the the complete opposite. He says, listen, I want you to, to embrace the offense. In fact, if someone hits you, I want you to offer them the other cheek. Don't resist a person who wrongs you or offends you. Look at what he goes on to say in in verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So here Jesus, he's giving just another specific example to the people that they would have understood in their context. You see, at the time, people didn't have these massive closets and a massive amount of clothes, much like many of us do now. It was not uncommon for people to have one to two shirts that they wore every day and and one coat that kept them warm. And clothing was almost viewed as this prized possession for people because they didn't have a, a lot of it. And it was such a prized possession, it was something that people valued so much that it was actually illegal for you to steal another person's piece of clothing. It could land you in jail if you stole a person's coat. And listen, Jesus is telling them, listen, if someone sues you for your shirt, if someone sues you for one of your most prized possessions, I want you to willingly give them your coat as well. Rather than fighting back and resisting them, I want you to surrender something that is extremely valuable to you. And listen, although the law did not require it, it was what Jesus expected from his followers. Look in verse 42. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. You see, at this point, you can imagine that the people are probably done. They're probably sick of hearing what Jesus has to say, mainly because it's not too beneficial for them. And Jesus is no longer talking to the people about having an issue with someone who's like them. He's not talking about having an issue with with another Jewish person. Instead, now he's talking about having an issue with their enemies. Having an issue with someone that that they hate. You see, at the time, it was common practice for, for Roman soldiers to force the Jewish people to carry their gear for one mile. It wasn't because the Romans were were tired or because they they needed a break. Instead, it was a show of force, and it was a show of dominance over the Jewish people. And Jesus tells those who are listening, whenever you're, you're forced to carry their gear, whenever they treat you unfairly, whenever you're required to do something that you shouldn't have to do, I want you to willingly carry it a whole extra mile. I want you to willingly carry it too, even though you're only required to carry it one. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to go out of your way to serve people who mistreat you. In the final verse, he says this, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow you from you. Finally, Jesus wraps up this this set of verses by by getting pretty personal. And he starts talking about their their personal possessions and and their finances. And Jesus tells them that that they need to be more generous 
than the law at the time required. If someone needed something, they were to give it to them. If someone asked to borrow something, you were to to let them have it. And Jesus is saying, listen, you need to lay aside what you think you are entitled to for the benefit of someone else. Now, I know when we read these verses, they don't mean a whole lot to us today. And that's primarily because we don't experience these offenses in our normal, everyday life. These aren't things that, that we necessarily deal with now. But I don't want us to miss what Jesus is saying because it gets lost in translation. So I've put what Jesus said in kind of a a modern day context, in a modern day translation. And I want you to hear just how crazy it sounds. You have heard that it was said, don't get mad, get even. But I tell you, don't resist a complete jerk. When someone lies about, to your, uh, lies about you to your friends, say something nice about them to their friends. When your sibling snitches on you to your parents, go ahead and do their chores for the next month. When your friend stabs you in the back, offer to help them with their homework. Always give to that one friend who never Venmos you back and never make them repay you. Listen, this sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds ridiculous, but Jesus is intentionally trying to be ridiculous when he says these things. He's going for for the shock factor. Why? Because he's trying to prove a point to these Jewish people that are listening to him. And here's what he's trying to say. Being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. Listen, being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. Throughout the course of your life, you are going to be wronged by people. People are going to insult you. People are going to try and take what belongs to you. Your enemies are going to to mistreat you. And people are going to ask too much of you. But listen, just because someone commits an offense against you doesn't mean that you have to live with that offense. Living with an offense towards someone else is a choice that we each have to make, and we can choose how we respond when someone commits an offense against us. And Jesus is saying here that if you are going to follow him, If you are going to claim to be a follower of Jesus, then you and I have to lay down our right to be offended. We have to put aside what we feel entitled to. We have to put aside that feeling of always wanting to be right and wanting to be vindicated. We have to choose to not live with an offense even when one is committed against us. So how do, we, how do we do this? Like very practically speaking, how can we stop being offended? As we close tonight, I want to give you just two very simple things to, to consider. Two very simple ways that I think if we begin to implement within our daily lives will help us to stop being offended. The first one is this. Lower your expectations. 
Number one, lower your expectations. You know, I think many of us have this tendency to put the people in our life up on a pedestal. We expect the people in our life to act a certain way. We expect them to dress a certain way, to talk a certain way, to do certain things. But listen to me, inevitably, there's going to come a time when those expectations are not met. Someone is going to do something that's going to hurt you. Someone might not say thank you for that really thoughtful thing that you did. Your friend might forget to text you on your birthday. You might have a family member that forgets to to respond to your text or someone bails on, on, on an event that you're having. Listen, you're going to be let down, disappointed, and hurt at some point. But if I'm, if I'm being completely honest with you, I just want to ask you, like, what do you expect? What do you expect? How many of you sitting in this room have never, ever, ever let somebody else down? You see, instead of being shocked when someone hurts us, instead of being shocked when, when someone lets us down, we need to remember that sinful people do sinful things. And listen, if you're not Jesus, then you're not perfect. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in describing what people are like. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's a pretty accurate description. Because there's a lot of things on that list I can identify with. And listen, when people let you down, when someone at church lets you down, if you hang around me long enough, inevitably when I let you down, listen, it doesn't mean that God isn't real, and it doesn't mean that the church isn't a bad place. It simply means that sinful people were not perfect. And guess what? That's each one of us. And so in order to to prevent being shocked when when someone lets us down, we need to begin to, to have that mindset. We need to begin to have some realistic expectations for the people in our life. The second way that that we can stop being offended is is to immediately extend grace. Immediately extend grace. I want to just take a a quick poll in here really quick. I want you to, to raise your hand if you would say that you have never sinned. I want you to raise your hand if if you think you've genuinely never done anything wrong. You've never lied. You've never gossiped. You've never cheated. I want you to look around this room right now. Everybody look around this room right now. Nobody's hand is raised. And nobody's hand should be raised. Because none of us are perfect. And because none of us 
deserve God's grace. We have all sinned, we have all messed up, and I want you to listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, we don't deserve God's grace and God's forgiveness. And there's nothing that that we can do to, to earn it on our own. Absolutely nothing. Instead, it is only because of God's goodness and his love for us that he extended his grace to us when Jesus came and paid the price for our sins. God extended his grace to us so that we might have a relationship with him. And guys, heres I don't want you to miss me say this. Just like we don't deserve God's grace, someone in your life might not deserve yours. But aren't we thankful that God did not withhold grace from us? Aren't we thankful that God, because he loved us so much, forgave us when we least deserved it? And listen, as followers of Jesus, we are called to extend grace. Now, you might be sitting there thinking like, all right, you don't know what this person's done. You don't know that they've they've hurt me. You don't know what they've said about me. Listen, I I don't know. And, And I might not ever know. But I also know that we've also done the same exact things. Every one of us has, has failed and we've messed up and we are in need of God's grace. Now listen, I know that this is, is a lot easier said than, than done. And very selfishly, very much in our human flesh, it is difficult to extend grace to someone that's hurt us. Quite honestly, it's the last thing that that we want to do. But here's what I love so much. Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he didn't do himself. When you look back on, on Jesus' life here on earth, Jesus constantly suffered offense. He was slandered. He was mocked. He was persecuted. He was even put to death for for something that that he did not deserve to to die for. And it could have been very, very easy for Jesus to carry around all of those offenses, to live with offense, to allow those things that, that people had done to him to impact how he thought, to impact how he felt, to impact how he acted. But instead, he perfectly modeled for us what it looks like to live with no offense. He didn't have unrealistic expectations for the people in his life. And he was really quick to extend grace. And listen, Jesus was the ultimate example that showed us that it is possible to stop being offended. Let's pray.
Father, I, we come to you tonight and are just so thankful for the example that you have set for us when it comes to living with an offense. God, so often we think that you're unrelatable, that you don't know what we go through, that you don't relate to, to how we feel. But we know that, that Jesus experienced some of those same exact things. People talked bad about him. People lied about him. He was persecuted. He was beaten. And yet he still chose to live a life with no offense. And so, Father, I just pray for, for each one of these students in here tonight. God, I don't know what kind of offense that they're carrying in, in their life right now. I don't know what someone has said about them. I don't know how someone has treated them. But God, I thank you so much that, number one, you do. And that, number two, you showed us that it is possible to live with no offense. And so I just pray that if some of these students need to reevaluate their expectations that they've set for some people in their life, if they need to, to be quick to, to immediately extend grace, I pray that you would make that abundantly clear tonight. God, if they need to get these things right, if there's someone that they need to, to extend grace to, that they would make the decision to do that tonight. And they would not leave this place carrying around this burden, this, this offense that impacts every single area of their life. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.